0: Amen. Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. I hope you're excited to be in the house of the Lord today. Is anyone excited to be here? Amen. Amen. So this month we've been talking about um, marriage and relationships. And so today I want to go to the word of God and just kind of glean from what the word of God says in Ephesians chapter five And we're going to kind of go through the whole chapter. We're going to skim through some things. And then at the end, I'm going to tie in something to Proverbs uh, chapter 5, which is an awesome, awesome scripture uh, touching on marriage. And if you're not married, that's okay. You're going to learn some stuff today as well. Um, If you are married, I hope you still learn some stuff today as well. And if you want to be married or you feel maybe God has called you called you to never be married, maybe you do truly have the gift of Paul, which is not something to shun or to uh, be upset about. But if God has truly called you to a life of singleness to him, then um, I pray that you'll also learn something as well. Also, we know that the college, I'm sorry, the high school group, you are having an abundant life series that is starting today. You're going to be meeting in the office. So not in the children's, uh, not in the school, but in the office. So amen. You're all dismissed. Thank you. Okay, so let's go ahead and and get started. Can we go to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1? Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. It is quite chilly out there, and uh, it's kind of hard for me to talk right now. I feel like my jaw's a little frozen, but pray for me. Okay, here we go. Ephesians, Ephesians, there it is, chapter 5, verse 1. Okay, let's read. It says, therefore, become imitators of God as beloved children and live in love just as also Christ loved us and gave himself for us in offering and sacrifice to God for a fragrant smell. Why don't we go forward, uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Let's go to verse 21 it says this, and be subject one to another in the fear of Christ. Verse 22, wives be subject or submitted to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle, or any such thing that she would be holy and blameless amen why don't you pray for me right now at this time and let's go ahead and pray that god would allow a spirit of revelation and unity to fill this house father we love you we thank you for all that you've done we thank you for all that you've given us we thank you for absolutely blessing us today we thank you i pray god that you can truly help me get out of the way right now that you can give me the strength to remove myself today and to humble myself that your spirit would fill this house we pray blessing over every marriage blessing over every godly relationship we pray revelation in this house i pray that your spirit would truly lead me god that i would say what exactly what you want me to say and not what i want to say in the name of jesus amen In jesus name amen why don't we give god a round of applause today So the first thing, the first reason why we're going to be going through the chapter of Ephesians... Uh, Ephesians chapter 5 excuse me is for a biblical understanding many times we uh, how many of us have ever been guilty of just kind of flipping open the Bible and putting your finger down and saying okay God God is speaking to me and then you read the scripture and it says do not kill and you're like right I'm not going to kill today but maybe tomorrow because God was talking about that today right so when it comes to biblical li- literacy or when it comes to understanding the Bible you have to look at it as a whole In the same way when you meet somebody or in the same way when you're reading a text, you can't just read one text message. You have to understand the entire conversation. And if you read just one text message, then there are going to be some serious issues with your relationships. Can I get an amen? I mean, you have to read the whole context and understand it. And so as we read the Bible, we kind of want to look at it from a bigger picture. And it's going to develop us and and help us become more mature. Amen? So turn to your neighbor and say, be more mature. Humbly. There it is. Or you can simply just say, mature. That's another way you can say it in English. All right. Kindly. Gently. Hallelujah. And um, the next thing is, uh, on that matter, is it's very important to understand the bible it's very important to read and to study your pastor your life group leaders your Timothys, whoever is discipling you it is not enough for them to study the bible it's not enough for the preacher to come behind the pulpit and to deliver the word to you that's not enough Why? Eve was hearing what Adam told her that God said, and yet when the serpent came to deceive her, we find out that she tries to say what God said, but completely misquoted God. And so there's various interpretations of what that means, but the bottom line is this. If you do not understand the Word of God for yourself from a bigger picture, perspective. It's going to be very easy for the enemy to come and manipulate your mind and your life. And how many want to be free from those manipulations today? Amen. Amen. So let's go ahead and try and look at Ephesians from the whole chapter. Okay. We don't have the whole time to go through the whole book or through the whole, all the letters, but let's just go from, from the chapter. Number one is Ephesians was written by Paul and Paul wrote it while he was in prison. So he wrote this while he was in prison and he's reading this entire book. He's writing this entire book to this church at a city called Ephesus. So every one of the names is to a specific person or specific place. And he's writing to a church at Ephesus. And when he gets to chapter five, I've broken it down to five or six things. The first part of the chapter, he talks about imitating God as a child would, his parents. The next part, he talks about removing all fornication. And he's very, he's very consistent with that fornication, talking about sexual impurities, uh, and talking about greed and talking about removing all of that. The next part, he talks about be careful of how you live. And the part after that, He kind of describes in verse 18 what the life of a spirit-filled believer should look like, should embody. We're going to talk about all this in a little bit. In verse 21, he talks about being submitted to one another. And in verse 22 on, he talks about the household duties and the husband and wife relationship as the Bible teaches. So how many are ready to get into this? Amen. Let's go ahead and get into that. That was kind of weak. How many are ready to get into this? I don't know if the heater's putting you to sleep. I know it's cozy now. But okay, let's do this. Ephesians chapter five, verse one. Go ahead. You're already opened up there. Ephesians chapter five, verse one. Let's go and read it. It says, therefore, become imitators of God as beloved children and live in love. But let's stop there in verse in verse one. Therefore, become imitators of God as beloved children. He's talking in the chapter right before he's giving them a whole list of things of what not to do. He's telling them, don't do this, don't do that, don't fornicate, don't sin, don't go here, be a good example. And he's giving them all of these lists of things to do. And then he gets here and he says, you know what? The same way a child would mimic their parents, the same way a child would mimic their parents, would imitate them. You should imitate God. What does that mean? So at the end of the day, whoever your father is, is who you're going to try and be like. Right. If your father Jesus was turning to the Pharisees, says, you know, you're you're uh and the religious people, he says, You're of your father the devil. No, what are you talking about? We're of our father Abraham. See, he was calling them out and who they took after based on how they were acting, based on how they were living, based on how they were speaking. He's saying, Now I know who you're modeling your life after. Right. And so the question to us today is who is our father? Who are we truly trying to model our lives after? My brother tells a hilarious story and he's told it a few times, I believe to this congregation or at least to me and, um, and I love hearing it every time, but he talks about how my, my father used to give us Bible studies and he would go to a scripture and he'd say, that's not what I'm saying. See, that's what the Bible's saying. And then my brother gave a Bible study for the very first time and to some, uh, to this young man named Benny, a friend that used to come to our church and, and he would, he started going through it and he got to a scripture. He says, you know, that's not what I'm saying. That's what the Bible's saying. Right. And so at the end of the day, I don't know how many of you young people, as you're getting older, you're starting to see that you are morphing into your parents. Does anyone see that? No. Or how about you parents? Have you seen yet that you have morphed into your mother and into your father? Has anyone seen that yet? Can I get an amen, parents? And you're like looking in the mirror, and all of a sudden I started looking like pastor. I'm like, hey, you know, I look pretty good. Praise God. You know, I'm very grateful, right? He's a great looking man. And so I, I, I understand this one concept, and that is that we become our parents, right? We kind of grow into that. Not a hundred, not one to one, but we grow into that. And so he's saying the same thing here. It says, verse two, and live in love just as also Christ loved us and gave himself for us in offering and sacrifice to God for a fragrant smell. That's referring to an Old Testament, uh, understanding that when you give a sacrifice, that if God was pleased with it, that it smelled good to him. And some of us, we, we think, uh, wow, that's very, or very interesting or very strange. Just the other day, uh, my wife and I went to go see our in-laws. And as soon as I, w- I didn't know what we were having for dinner, but as, as soon as I walked in the house, I started smelling some savory and lemony mixed with a spicy uh a spicy flavor. And all of a sudden I walk over and I said, man, that smells like my childhood. I don't know what's going on. And, I, and then I, I ask her, what are we having? And she says, uh, your suegro or your father-in-law, for those of you who don't know Spanish, your father-in-law is there in the backyard grilling carne asada. And I said, oh, that's what that is. And I go out there and I said, hey, uh, suegro, can I get some, uh, can I get a little taster real quick? You know he cut me a little piece right there, and I had a little some something, something, and that was some of some really good really good God that I have not had in a long time as a matter of fact, I'm not supposed to be eating meat, but I had to do it. that's how good it was and so um so right and and how do we how does that relate? Well, I'm simply telling you this when the children of Israel went to bring a sacrifice to God, they would cut it up, and the children of Israel would eat a portion right there in front of the tent. And it was almost, and then they would burn some to God, and it was almost like he came to eat, and they came to eat, and they were sitting at the front of the tent eating and conversing with God, and it was a sweet-smelling savor unto him. So the next time, you know, young people walk into the kitchen, and your mom's cooking your favorite hard shell ground beef tacos with mac and cheese and Kool-Aid, then you just tell mm, that's a sweet-smelling savor unto me. Thank you. Can I get some whatever, or some chocolate chip cookies, or whatever they're cooking? Amen? Can I get an Amen. Right, so in the same way, God is kind of looking at it the same way, okay, but not like God in okay, here we go uh let's uh let's go to Ephesians chapter five verse three, but immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints, or that word is the holy ones, the separated ones. He's saying, you're not like the rest of the world, the world should not look at you and call you immoral the world where you go to work they should not look at you and have a a doubt in their mind about your purity status the world where you go to school they should not have a doubt in their mind whether or not you're greedy or not they should know very clearly that this man who calls himself a christian this woman who calls herself a christian is pure is moral and is willing to give of herself or himself in any way, shape, or form, right? And how many of us, we know the people who are stingy, and we know the people who are not stingy. Some time ago, my wife and I were going to go out to eat with somebody, and they they had invited us in a way, and and on the drive over there, I asked the question, I know we were both thinking it, but I asked the question, I said, you know, I'm really not sure, I know they invited us, but I'm not sure if they're going to pay for us. Right? Why? Because I understood the character. Everyone here knows who is greedy and who is and who is giving. Oh man, I'm not going to go any further into that. But he's saying among you, everybody should know that New Life AWC. If anybody is giving if anybody turns around to the community if anybody's going grocery shopping and then they see a a mother with her children in front of them or somebody else that they're the first ones to pull out their card or pull out their cash and say here let me take care of theirs as well let me take care of their check let me go ahead and buy you lunch let me go ahead and pray for you let me go ahead and buy you groceries is this church a church that is a giving church today we have to create that and understand and live in that culture amen let's keep moving so he says, but immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among the holy ones, the separated ones. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jest, uh, gesturing, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God, so he continues moving forward and, and and continues talking about keeping your mouth clean and keeping your your character clean, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Can someone say amen and so as he keeps go he keeps continuing on that thought all the way to around verse seventeen and so let 's go ahead and go to verse eighteen this is uh, now we 're going to start shifting into the next portion of what he starts talking about. And he talked about what life shouldn't look like. And now he's going to kind of give a small glimpse of what life should look like. He starts off here. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. So that's pretty clear right there. Uh, can't really explain much more. Do not get drunk. Hallelujah. Okay, here we go. But be filled with the Spirit as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves singing and making melody to the Lord in your hearts, giving thanks to God the Father at all times and for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Mark chapter 14, verse 26, it says this. I'm just going to read it real quick. And talk, It's talking about Jesus and the disciples. And when they had sung the hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives in other words, Jesus and his disciples, after they ate, they got together and they sang. Some time ago, we were in January. Our church, we were having a prayer revival. And we were coming all Monday through Friday or Tuesday through Friday. And we were praying every, uh, every night. And pastor allowed me the opportunity to lead a prayer on Thursday. And toward the end of the prayer, I really felt to finish the prayer in song. And so I said, everyone, I read that scripture about when they sang, and I went and I said, why don't we all sing together? And I looked out in the audience, and some people started laughing. I could see that some people chuckled. Maybe it was because it wasn't normal in the culture that we've developed, or maybe in your culture, it's not normal to sing, or everyone's told you that you're a horrible singer. I'm here to tell you today that it's okay, amen? God still loves you and still wants you to sing, right? Just not on the praise team, praise God, but he still wants you to sing, And so we all got together as a church and we started singing. And I don't know about you, but the atmosphere just shifted. There was a gratitude and you could, and you could understand those who understood worship. They understood true praise and true praise in God. That praise is not when the music is playing and the singers are singing, the MC's jumping up and down, and brother Chris is, you know, tearing up shout music, and he's just doing all those runs. And Sister Janelle gets up after and sings a song, and we're like, yeah, I said, you know, know, we're all just crying. All of a sudden I start speaking in Spanish. I don't even know Spanish, but I'm crying and praying in Spanish now. You know, I don't even know what's going on, right? And so we're we're that's not true. That's not the only true praise. That's not the essence of it. The essence of it is that you truly admire, you truly appreciate God, and you can appreciate him in a way that only you can. Specifically, there's a specific avenue that has been carved out In this spiritual world that only you can travel up, there's a special door that God has designed just for you. And I know that sounds almost fairytale-ish, that God has designed something just for you. But think about this. There is not one person in this world who has the same thumbprint. There's not one person in this world that has the same thumbprint. There's a uniqueness to every single God in all of his amazingness and all of his wonder has Created every single person to be different. And uh, the prophet T.W. Barnes once said, he said that in the same way that your thumbprint is as unique from everybody else, is the same way that God has designed a way that only you can approach Him that only Shivante can approach him that only Robert can approach him that you can't approach him the way I can approach him that there is a special avenue almost a special song that he is destined just for you and him that there is a special moment a special place that God has reserved just for you and that is the essence of worship and that is the understanding of why excuse me that is why on a prayer on a thursday night with no organ and no piano we can all come together as believers and sing why because every one of us has come to understand that god has saved us has set us free and he loves us that's why we sing and so paul is admonishing them and he's telling them I'm going to read it again. Do not get drunk with wine without debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. You can see the contrast there. hes It's a call back to the day of Pentecost when they came out of the upper room. And what happened? Everyone said they're drunk. And Peter said, they're not drunk like you think they're drunk. They're drinking a new kind of wine, a wine that's been poured out for us. He says, but be filled with the spirit as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourself. I kind of want to touch on that for a second. In in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, there's a very interesting portion of scripture, and it talks about singing in an unknown tongue. Now, many of us have spoken in unknown tongues, that's speaking in another tongue. That's old English term for speaking in another language. And from our perspective, from our understanding, it's speaking in a language that you don't know. And the Holy Ghost is speaking through you, whether it's heavenly or even earthly tongues. On the day of Pentecost, they were speaking in actual earthly tongues that people could understand them. And there's testimonies on that, but I won't get into it. And so I commonly would read that scripture, but I never had an experience of that until I started learning about the Azusa Street Revival. By a show of hands, how many of you have heard of the Azusa Street Revival? OK, so I'll explain a little bit as this street revival was a revival that happened in Los Angeles from 1906 to 1909. And it started in prayer. And a man by the name of William Seymour, he led it. He was the pastor over it. And thousands upon thousands of people came and were filled with the power of the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues. That was a new thing. They did not believe. Many people did not believe that that was the case. They didn't believe that that was supposed to happen, but that happened. But not only that, there were miracles, countless blind eyes being opened. There was this one lady I read about that she would put her finger in mouths that had no teeth. Their teeth had rotted or something was wrong or the, there was this baby uh, that was born. And, and as the baby got older, the teeth never grew and there was a, a bunch of issues. And so as a young child, she put her finger, uh, the woman put the, her finger in the child's mouth and would press on the gum in faith until a, until the to, tooth met her finger and would start to grow And you can read about these. These are documented. People have all the witnesses. And so one of the things that I've read about was that they would all begin speaking in other tongues. And somebody who had never played piano before would be led of the spirit to walk over to the piano and would start playing. And then everybody would be so in tune in unity in the spirit that they would all start singing the same song in tongues. That's unity right there. That's a move of the spirit, and we can have that here in new life. How many want to have a move of God like that today? Amen, let's keep moving. Ephesians chapter five verse 21. Amen. Ephesians chapter five verse 21. It says, "Be subject one to another out of reverence for Christ. I don't have time to get into that. Wives be subject to your husbands as you are to the Lord, or submit yourselves." But be subject to your husbands as you are to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church, the body of which he is the Savior. Just as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So I went through this and I kind of divided a few things. So Paul gives us a to-do list. And then he gives us a revelation list. So the to-do list is this. For the wives, submit, be subject, or respect the authority of your husband in everything. That's the to-do list for the wives. Can all the sisters say amen? Amen. All the brothers, say amen. 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 That is the to-do list for the wife. To submit, be subject, respect the authority of your husband. For the husband, the husband has two things. The husband is supposed to love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And two, husbands should love their wives as they do their own bodies. Okay, so those are the two, uh, to do lists for the husband. Now, what is the revelation? I broke it down into four things. Number one, the husband is the head of the wife just as Christ is the head of the church. Now, I, I know that. You know, some of us men may hear that and we might... You know, be looking over at our wife and be like, mm-hmm, did you hear that right there? The husband is the head of the wife. Mm-hmm, that's right. Say that again, brother James. You know what? We're gonna buy this CD. I know they post it on YouTube, but we're gonna buy the CD anyways, and we're gonna put it in all our cars. We're gonna burn them and give it all my friends. I'm gonna get all my family. right? We're thinking, man, that the husband is the head of the wife, right? The husband is supposed to, um, the wife is supposed to submit herself to the husband just as the church submits itself to Christ. But the truth is, when I read that with sincere eyes and humility, that has to be one of the scariest, most indicting, and most challenging scriptures I've read in the whole Bible. You see, I understand what it means when the Bible says, do not steal, right? Do not kill. The Bible says to, you know, love your neighbor, right? It says all of these things. But he goes a little deeper. And he says, not only do you got to love your wife. But you got to love your wife the way Christ loved the church. You see, some guys look at that and say, that's right. You got to listen. But when I look at that, I look at that as responsibility. I look at that like, you mean I have a responsibility to be like Jesus. And then he gives the example of how the husband, how Christ loved the church. What did he do? He gave his own body for it. But what does that mean? That means he crucified his flesh every moment of his existence. That means he wanted the flesh, had a will and wanted one thing, but he went the other way. Why? For the greater good of the church, for the greater good of the wife. The, Jesus, the, the will of the flesh wanted, did not want to be on the cross, did not want to die, did not want to be crucified, did not want to go and pray, but would rather go do something else. But still, he went against every natural thing every natural human instinct went against it why based out of love and the bible says that he was the savior of the body he was the savior of the church think about what he went through to save the body think about what he put himself through to kill his flesh i've said this before but i when i was dating abigail i remember I, uh, had a hard time saying no to things. I remember my dad would, you know, tell me stories about when he would tell my mother no when they were still dating just to test her and just to kind of see how she was going to respond when she didn't get her way. And I remember I had a hard time with that because I grew up Yes, in my home, but the world had kind of, you know, deposited a few thoughts that tried to chip away the understanding of what it means to be a man. And what it means to be a man is not just to say no or yes, but to make decisions. And of course, for women as well. But when it comes to the household, there's a different responsibility. And so the world tried to turn away my understanding of, uh, uh, of or, or rather try to make me feel like if I told her what she didn't want to hear, I'd be a dictator. And I was very afraid of that. And I remember my father was sitting in the family room, and my mom was in the kitchen. And I got home from a date, and uh, I said, Pops, can I talk to you real quick? And he's like, yeah. And I said, "Um, so, you know, I've kind of brought it down to this one question. Is my decision more important than her opinion? And my dad said, absolutely. And I said, Okay, hey man, come on, slow down, slow down. I, I wanted like a nice easing into it. Put some butter on there, you know, make it a little sweeter. Absolutely, just without hesitation. I so my opinion? I'm sorry, my decision is more important than my wife's opinion. She's my, she's my number two. She's my girl, you know. I, what do you mean? Yes, your decision is more important than her opinion. And I said. Okay, with all due respect, can we call can we call mommy over here? And say, mom. And I called her over and I said, Okay, mom, settle a debate here. You know, help me out here. My my father, my pastor, you know, he told me that, you know, my opinion my decision is more important than her opinion. Don't you think that's a little belittling to the woman? My mom said, Absolutely. Okay, okay, what's going on here? Do you guys, you know, do you guys have a conversation? Do you get texting each other right now what's going on here? What are you talking about? My mom told me, she said, when I was younger, when we were dating, excuse me, she said, your your uh father, we we were fellowshipping in the or date, that's what they call dating. And uh <laughs> and they were sitting in a pew and they would sit in a pew after church and just talk with one another, um, just like that. And so they were talking, and as they were getting closer to marriage, she said that, you know, your father turned to me and he said, You know, I just want you to know, I just want you to know that I'm going to be making the the final decision is going to come with me. But it's coming with me because I have a responsibility as the priest of the house to answer to God. And if you make a poor decision and I go with it, it's not your fault. It'll be my fault. And I will take the blame. I will take the responsibility. And she told me when he told me that... (sighs) I felt safe. I felt like this was a man who was going to lead me, who was going to walk me, and wasn't going to blame me, but was going to take responsibility for his actions and even mine. And so that stuck with me. And so I said, yeah, yeah, okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. All right, praise God. And uh, I talked to Abigail the next week. I said, woman. No, I just, I'm just kidding. Um, but, the, but I walked away with a different understanding. I walked away with the understanding that, that more power, you know, not to be cheesy, does mean more responsibility. That there is a weight that is on your shoulders if you have the final say. If the, if the business starts failing, it's not the worker's fault, right? If the life group starts struggling, it's not the visitor's fault, right? If, if your family is slowly splintering and breaking apart, it's not the children's fault. We've had conversations with parents and they start blaming the children. I, I I can't, I kind of laugh on the inside. I just kind of think, you know, you, you have to be somewhat delusional to escape the relation, the, the, the absolute responsibility that you have over this and that's what god commissions to the men of the church he says you have a responsibility not just to lead them but to look more like me than you ever have before but to sacrifice your life the way i have on the cross are there any men here who are ready to take up that mantle today are ready to take up that responsibility and say i'll be the priest of that i've fallen before i don't care i'm getting back up i'm gonna be the man of the house today I'm going to surrender and submit, right? And I have a few more examples of that, but let's just move on. I got about seven more minutes, then I'm out of here. Amen. So verse 29 says that the husband should care and nourish his wife as he does his body, almost a motherly wording in the scripture, a sensitive view. So verse 29, why don't we go ahead and read verse 29, uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 29. It says, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as christ also does the church right and so the idea is this that uh if we go to scripture before verse 28 i'm sorry can we go to verse 28 i hope you're still following along with me so husbands are also to love their own wives as their own bodies he who loves his own wife loves himself and you i can't help but but ask it in the negative ask it in the reverse and say, does that mean that husbands who do not love their wife do not love themselves? Right, Husbands who treat their wives poorly, who talk down to them, who, who treat them like trash, who do not hold them like queens and respect their word and respect what they say and ask them their opinion. Uh, do these husbands actually have a war going on inside of themselves that they struggle? And so many times uh, a wife in this moment, When the husband speaks down to you or speaks poorly to you, you think that it's you. But it's really them. You think that you're the one with the problem. You think that, well, I have to do this differently or I have to go this. And then you start fighting back and you say, well, what are you talking? You did this and you didn't. And then we just start uh, finding fault with one another. But it seems that that will just keep things in a cycle. Someone say Amen. It seems like it'll just keep things in a cycle. And the only answer that I could think of to that is a place of humility and understanding and understanding that just because your husband is a husband and your husband may be a father does not mean that he had a father. Does not mean that he had a father that loved him, that showed him what it means to have self-worth, that showed him what it means to have a self, uh, uh, a pride almost, uh, uh, but not the, the, the ungodly kind, but the one that says, hey, uh, uh, I know who I am. I don't question my identity i don't struggle with sexuality i don't struggle i know who i've fallen i've made mistakes but i know who i am and what is the key to any identity you have to know what god says about you so wives i encourage you if you feel like your husband treats you so poorly i think this scripture is correct in uh, helping us understand it's because they have a very low understanding of themselves and the only way you can increase that understanding is if you know what god says Says about you. That's the only way if you know what God says about you. And church, we have to start praying. Is anyone committed to praying and asking God to reveal to us how He sees us? Not how we see ourselves, not how our parents saw us, not how our leaders see us or people might see us, but how God sees us. Amen. Amen. And so, verse 33 each of you, however, should love his wife as himself, and a wife should respect her husband. And then I want to talk about one more thing. I've got about three more minutes. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 15. Why don't we open up there? So, so the scripture is obviously telling us that Jesus loved the church. The husband is the representation of Jesus, and the wife is the representation of the church. The wife should submit and surrender as the husband loves the wife like Christ loved the church, was ready to die for it. In, that term, in those terms of love, I, the Proverbs are very, are very uh, helpful. And I advise everybody here to continually read the Proverbs over and over again um, for the rest of your life. But Proverbs chapter 5 talks about a strange woman, and it also talks about a good woman. And so Proverbs chapter 5, verse 14. Can you go to verse 14, please? Proverbs chapter 5, verse 14. I'm sorry, let's go to the next scripture, verse 15. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 15. As you open up there, amen. I'm going to read in the King James Version. It says, drink waters out of your own cistern and running waters out of your own well. Uh, Can you go to verse 16, please? It says, let your fountains be dispersed abroad and rivers of waters in the streets. More so? Uh, verse 17. Let them be only thine own and not a strangers with thee. So this is, the context is talking about a marital relation. And the context of Proverbs is a father who sits his sons down and he, and he gives them all of this fatherly, kingly advice. Remember, Solomon is the one who wrote uh, the Proverbs. And at the end, there's a few you know, arguments as to who wrote them. But nevertheless, he wrote the majority. And so the idea is he's sitting his sons down as princes and telling them what they should be getting ready for as they become men. And in this chapter, he talks about a seduct. Can you leave it up? Uh, Proverbs chapter 5, verse 15, please. And in this chapter, he's talking about the dangers of a seductress the dangers of an adulteress the dangers uh, of this woman and, and that this woman you cannot escape her she's going to be there you the number one key is not to talk to her right is not to converse and to try and baptize her Oh, i was just trying to give her a home bible study a personal home bible study she says she didn't want no one else you know that's not that's not how you do it right read the proverbs you know what he says don't walk down her street he says, as a matter of fact, if you see her street, go run the other way. Go up a mountain, go crawl in the dirt, whatever you gotta do, but you go the other way. Right? And we can take that understanding in many ways, in many ways. Um, and not just for for the the seduction, but in many other ways, for many other things. Nevertheless, when he comes to Proverbs chapter 5, verse 15, he says, Drink waters out of your own cistern. A cistern was a giant hole that they would dig to collect rainwater. But the next part, he says, and running waters out of your own well. Now for you and I, we don't fully understand 100% what that actually means. You see, in their day, excuse me, in that part of the world, they only get rain from October to April. And for five months, they get no rain. For five months, they get no rain. And it gets very hot It gets very dry. It gets, it's, they're in a they're in a desert part, or there's many desert parts, wilderness parts, and they're there. And so what happens is, is it's vital to many parts of the world still today to build wells. And these wells, some of them collect rainwater, but some of them are dug deeper. And the ones that are dug deeper to a deeper level in the ground is they when they drill, they tap into a, a deposit of water that is even below that surface. And that water has been pressurized for so long that as soon as they pop the that hole, all of a sudden water just starts coming out and coming and filling up the well. Now, what you need to know about that is this. The shallower wells are highly dependent on rainwater. If there's a horrible rainy season or uh, they're going through a drought, then the well will not be filled up and it'll be a dry well. If it's a bad season, then that's it. It's not, it's not good for that well. However, if you learn, if you dig and take the time to dig a deeper well to go even deeper and tap into these deeper deposits of water, they are not affected by the rain. And you will still have water whether there's a drought or not. Can somebody say amen? And so the Bible is teaching us that we need to understand that when you're looking at your relationships, when you're walking with your wife, when you're walking with your husband, here the context is a husband and his wife, that you need to look at your wife like she's your well. And if you have not dug deep and you are still living in a shallow relationship, It's going to be hard to draw living water out of that. And there's going to be seasons that you're not going to be able to live through. Some of us, some of the relationships at times, they are hanging on by a thread because of a marriage conference. And they have to go from marriage conference to marriage conference. And all the time in between that, it's chaos. It's you don't want to be in that house. Right, but right after the marriage conference, it's wonderful. Right when the rain comes, boom, we got some water. Right, right. Right when the rain comes, okay, we got some water. But there is a deeper relationship that God is asking us to dig, that is wise for us to dig, to go past the insecurities. Come on, to go past those, those uh insecurities that we have, to go deeper and spend more time and and sit down and think about the things your wife likes. Think about the things your husband appreciates and want and to become completely selfless if i could summarize ephesians chapter 5 you know what what it says to me you know what ephesians chapter 5 says to me we started off it talks about not being the way you are but being like god it talks about removing all fornication right killing your flesh it's talking about to be very careful how you live and then it says as you live this is the life of a spirit-filled believer. There should be joy, love, etc. And then it talks about to submit to one another. You know what that tells me? You know what that whole chapter is telling me? It's telling me you have to get rid of your own will. You have to crucify your flesh. And if you want to go deeper in your relationship, there's a sacrifice today. Amen. Why don't we all stand at this time? Thank you so much for taking the time to go through this with me. I hope somebody learned anything, something and uh I, I really appreciate the time that you took to go through this with us tonight um, but i pray that somebody is made better and and that we continue to strive to be what god wants us to be why don't we pray father we love you we thank you for all that you've done we welcome you into this house we pray god that your spirit would fill this house today that you would bless our relationships the whole community the whole community is surrounding our relationships that is the very foundation of this church if we have strong families if we have strong marriages if we have strong leaders in the home then we will have strong relationships and we will have a strong church if we have strong relationships in the home then our children will grow and become more and more like you lord more and more like you in the name of Jesus. Lord, we love you and we thank you for everything that you have done for us and everything that you are doing through us. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give God a round of applause. God bless you. Amen. Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. God bless you. you may be seated. Amen. Praise the Lord. God bless Brother James for that Bible study. Amen.